Hello, I'm Skosha Monkovic. Welcome back for another episode of Creative Responders in Conversation, our monthly interview series where we hear from people on the front lines of the arts and emergency management sector as they prepare, respond and recover from disaster. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. You might like to know that this interview series is just one part of our podcast offerings. We also have a documentary series exploring case studies relating to creative recovery, which you can find in our podcast feed in episode one to four. The next season of the documentary series is coming soon, and we look forward to sharing these episodes with you in November. Today's guest is John Richardson, who is the National Resilience Advisor for Red Cross Australia. John is someone who spends a lot of time thinking about disasters, how we make sense of them, how we can better prepare for them, and how they transform the individuals and communities who go through them. I wanted to talk to John about the uncharted waters of 2020 and what lessons we could learn about resilience, response and recovery from this unique set of challenges we are facing. John has a deep understanding of disaster across many contexts and I was particularly interested to hear his thoughts on the social dimension of recovery and how the current climate of layered disasters is highlighting in a really stark way that a strong emphasis on social connectedness is key to building more resilient communities. I hope you enjoy this conversation with creative responder John Richardson. So welcome, John. I'm um, here in my little wardrobe studio on Mijin country, uh, Yagara Turrbal land in Brisbane. Um, welcome to our in conversation series, it's really great to be able to capture a very busy man for a, a good uh, chat. So, welcome, John. Whereabouts are you today? Uh, yeah, thanks, Scotia, for the welcome. I'm down uh, in, on the lands of the Yalakut Willem clan and the Bunurong people down by uh, Port Phillip Bay here in, in Melbourne. So, uh, it's what we would call Elwood. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's the, the lands of the Bunurong people who are the, the coastal peoples sort of around around the whole of Port Phillip Bay, uh, which is also um, before was known as Port Phillip Bay was uh, known as Nam. So mm. thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. We thought we'd uh, start by just asking you for a bit of an overview overview of your journey into the disaster management, emergency management sector, and uh, what led you to your current role? So your title is National Resilience Advisor for Red Cross Australia. What uh, brought you to this place? Wow. Uh, yes, it's a, it's a long journey. Uh, I really, I suppose if I actually think about it, I really probably started this when I was around seven or eight years old. And my younger brother and I, it's uh, a mad Lego fanatics and we used to build <laughs> towns um, and then we would invariably destroy them there'd be earthquakes or floods or cyclones or something like that uh, and then we would rebuild them uh, and this, this was because this was in the um, growing up in the 70s this was uh, the real decade of the disaster movie so the, you know the likes of the tower and our great Inferno. fascination to death and mayhem Yes, absolutely. And boys, you know, we were boys as well. So, um, so Towering Inferno, all those sorts of things. So we, we were quite 
obviously, yeah, we, we were quite into sort of the, the disasters. And then I think as I, you know, as I, as I grew older, um, I was, uh, you know, went through school, went to university. And when I was um, studying university, I, I undertook a geography degree. And uh, one of the subjects in that was natural hazards. Uh, and it was actually it was actually the best uh, subject that I I did while I was uh, at, at uni, and uh, uh, it, again it sort of sort of really provoked a real interest in that sort of intersection between uh, sort of hazards uh, and and people. So it was where you're able to bring the kind of physical geography and, and natural and human geography together. So. So very interested in that, uh, but sort in the uh, so mid eighties, uh, weren't a lot of jobs for geographers. So I ended off up going and doing uh, my nursing qualification. Uh, I nursed for about sort of ten years, um, or, or probably a little bit more, and uh, it just happened to be one stage um, I was looking looking at roles uh, when you used to look for jobs in the newspaper um, and there was a role that uh, was at Red Cross which was in the emergency services team uh, and I thought oh, look I'll, I'll give that a go um, I don't think I'll get it because you know it's obviously a specialised role uh, but uh, with my so nursing qualifications and experience and my uh, and my geography I kind of, I think, I mean, I obviously made a fairly good case because they they gave me the role, and uh, so I started working in the sort of emergencies or disaster space in uh, nineteen ninety seven, and since then, I suppose I've had a, a number of different roles. I was with Red Cross for a couple of years, then ended up managing the program, and then went across to the Victorian state government in the state uh, emergency recovery unit. Uh, which looked after sort of all the post-disaster assistance uh, in in Victoria, uh, and I was with them uh, for for seven years, uh, and again did a number of different things. Had quite got a range of different experiences uh, from uh, 9/11 uh, and our response here, the Bali bombings. We had the Alpine bushfires. Uh, I was. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be sent to the US um, as part of a team post Hurricane Katrina to sort of look at what this what we could provide as a country. Uh, so I had a range of different experiences, and then uh, one of the things at that time I um, really started to sort of think, oh, the uh, I see, you know, when you're working recovery, as you'd know, Scotia, you, you you know, you do see a lot of. Um, you know, you see a lot of uh, challenge and, and sort of heartbreak and and did make me sort of think, you know, are we, have we got this right in terms of how are we, you know, helping people prepare for disaster? And, and just uh, quite out of sort of um, uh, good fortune, I suppose, at the time, I was talking to uh, a, a former colleague uh, who was now my boss at Red Cross and he said, we're thinking about doing some work uh, and being more active in the disaster preparedness space. Would you be interested? And so I said, yes, I would, because I really saw that as, as a great opportunity to, to try and, um, I guess, influence the, you know, how we can improve outcomes for people beforehand so that they perhaps didn't have to go through some of the heartbreak and trauma 
Uh, so crossed over to to back to Red Cross uh, in the national team. I think it was in two thousand and seven, uh, and have been a sort of permanent fixture then. So my role has evolved over the time from being a sort of a program manager to where I uh, currently am now. That that. Um, that role with a um, very, very officious sounding title, um, <laughs> National Resilience Advisor. Um, it's a kind it's of, a- in, it's an interesting word, isn't it, that you choose uh, the notion of resilience. And um, I'm, I'm interested to hear about your idea of preparedness. And I know you're going into uh, a national week that's looking at um, promoting preparedness. But often in the arts, we talk about practice. That as artists, we practice mm. that idea that in practicing, you mm. deepen your skills, you deepen your reflection processes, and you deepen your capacity to be ready when the opportunity arises for you to do your work or your performance mm. when it's called a performance rather than just practice. But um, you know, in, um, when you're referring to that idea of risk mitigation and how we think about risk, I think that's changing too, don't you think, in terms of how we are looking to the future? Certainly, COVID is teaching us that the combination of risk from a point of view of um, tangible or concrete risk, mm. as perhaps we used to think about it in terms of yeah. land and um, land impact comparatively to risk com- mitigation of social psychology and uh, health and well-being, uh, needing to be much more meshed in this idea of how mm. we build resilience, how we practice um, preparedness and how we respond. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's a... Um there's a great, great observations there, uh, and a parallel sort of with you know practice in in performing arts, and I think uh, I think you're right in that, um, and that's a sort of notion of, of resilience, and so seeing uh, seeing what we have as a system, so I think we've we've tended to within the sector. Uh, sort of focus on things in a very sort of linear way. So you know, if we if we prevent and then we prepare, then we will respond and then we will recover, and then that's the end of the story. Which, I mean, I suppose you know, in some ways, you can kind of see that those sort of parallels with you know, if you're developing an idea uh, for uh, a movie script, and you know, you work through all those sorts of things, and it's just sort of seeing it in a very linear way. But it, um, you know, life life is not linear, and we do live in um, in systems. And so, I think that's where uh, I I I like the idea of um, kind of resilience as a concept. Although I'm very mindful that it is a very loaded term, and and there are many different uh, definitions, but. I try, try and bring it back to um, so trying to be so relatively simple. It, it, it is around so seeing things as a system and, and it is, you know, what are, what are the kind of capacities that we have across a whole range of things, whether it's our health and well-being, whether it's our financial abilities, whether it's our cultural considerations, our, you know, our access to knowledge, uh, and our connection to people in place, then you, you think of that as, as as a system. Now, preparedness, you know, is one part of that, and that helps contribute to it. And it's sort of then we talk about disastrous reduction, and I think that's again that's also another part of it. But it's a sort of overall sort of focus is on you know we want people to be able to kind of withstand um, you know the shocks and stresses of of challenges uh, in 
and take into account a, a whole range of different factors. Uh, and that's a disruption that happens to people's lives. And and then to be able to kind of come out the other side and sort of say, okay, well, you know, where am I at now? So how do I adapt to to these changes? Because there are changes. We, you know, we often talk about resilience as bouncing back or bouncing forward, but we've actually got to recognise that, uh, you know, disasters uh, are transformative events for, for people uh, and maybe small scale or maybe large scale. So we have to think about, well, what's the transformation here and how, how do people adapt to it? So a focus on resilience building, et cetera, helps people, give people, I think, the capacity to sort of be able to, to, to transform and then lead the lives that they, they kind of value living. You know, we all want to live kind of good, valuable lives. Um, we do that in different ways, obviously, but, you know, uh, that, that's just a kind of where we're, I think we're, we're aiming for. Mm, understanding that in any, any ecology, there's a kind of fluidity of constant change. Absolutely, yes. And I think that's part of our our challenge in a sort of a dominant, dominant narrative around disasters is we've often just seen it as, oh, oh well, no, we just... Um, we just need to rebuild what was there because that's what that's that's it. You know, it was like we lost something, we replace it, and and rather than actually sort of seeing, well, uh, you know, how fluid our lives are, how much have we changed? If you know, you think back what you were doing five years ago or ten years ago or whatever it might be, um, very different. Uh, we're very different people, so uh, that I think is. I mean, it's, it's a maturing that we're just starting to see, I think, uh, across, the, um, across the sector where there's a sort of recognition of that complexity. Yeah, and I think in current day, um, even more of a, of a need or a learning in the sense of layering, layering experience, you know, as we go, nothing is stationary and we're, what we're dealing with is much more of cascading Mm. Uh, situation where um, impacts come on impacts, you know, as they do in life. So if we're mm. systemising a response, then we we have to kind of have the fluidity of life around that as well. Yeah, I think that's um, that's so true. I mean, we we kind kind of in in this uh, area have focused on if you think about Maslow hierarchy, you know, we we've tended to focus on the bottom level and sort of say, okay, well, we're just really about providing food, water, shelter, um, a bit of money. Uh, and, you know, I think a bit of, and I'm, I'm doing kind of inverted commas here, counselling uh, will we'll, we'll help people. So, and that that's all we need to do. But uh, you think about how, again, um, people want to live uh, good, decent, sort of valuable lives, and so by um, by doing that, uh, you, you you yeah, you, that's what we've got to have in frame when we're we're thinking about so disasters and and our um, you know prevention of, but also you know our response to and recovery from. Well, we, um, you know, Creative Recovery Network, we're, we're trying to, agi- uh, to advocate for the role of creativity in this process and, you know, coming from a, 
a creative background, understand the value of what we can potentially bring. I suppose I'm interested from your perspective, John, what you, what you think is uh, the place or what are some of the ways that we could help support the work of organisations like yours, the Red Cross and other service um, organisations and, and government bodies that are looking at developing rigour around preparedness and recovery. What do you think is that um, creatives could bring in and support? Oh, look, I think there's a whole range of uh, aspects around sort of uh, creative, um, you know, creative inputs in, in, into sort of processes. Uh, you know, we, we tend to think uh, in a fairly sort of uh, kind of linear uh, way uh, as we sort of approach problems uh, and so that kind of problem-solving sort of approaches. So uh, I think having... A different way of thinking and you know thinking about you know those sort of creative processes um i think uh i think that certainly would add to um how you might come up with with quite different um solutions to 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 challenges and you know i think and this is the thing i, I mean i also don't want this just to sound like Oh, you know, um, oh, you're creative types, you just, you know, you just got all these, you know, crazy ideas, sort of thing. <laughs> because I, you know, I, 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 you know, understand that there is also a degree of rigor that goes into, um, you know, goes into uh, creativity. Whether you know the idea, of, I remember an interview with um, Keith Jarrett, the the jazz pianist, who, who talked about the, you know, in his learning of technique uh and um and immersion in in his technique and an understanding of of um you know all the theory around around music allowed him to improvise so you know we, we tend to think our oh, improvising is just kind of making it up as you go along well it's not you know it's obviously grounded in in something and so i think that's the that's one of the um one of the things that I think is is really important, and and I, I kind of liken it to you know we often approach um, uh, uh, kind of disaster management as sort of almost like a, a symphony orchestra, you know. There's lots of people up there, and then, then there's there's one generally a guy, but sometimes there's a woman up the front with a baton, and they're conducting away and. Um, if they fall over, then the first violin will jump up and, and, and take over. And so it's all very structured and you have to play it pretty much the way that it was written, you know, two or 300 years ago, or otherwise the um, you know, critics will have you hide and all that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, so we kind of approach it that way and it doesn't sort of allow for kind of flexibility or or. or, or creativity whereas i actually thought you know uh, you know it is perhaps it is a bit more like um like a jazz ensemble you know i think about miles davis's kind of blue where it's you know it's got an extraordinary rhythm section that that kind of anchors the um anchors the album and 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 then allows uh you know miles and and coltrane and and cannonball to to improvise over this this anchoring so i see that that's that's that sort of intersection where you can bring 
creativity into sort of solving problems. You need a good, good, strong anchor and and well versed. Mm, and all, in, all people who know their skill and their capacity yes, uh, to yeah. support each other in making the orchestrated sound at the yes, end. I suppose. Yeah, and, and practice. Yeah, and the, the the strength of collaboration, which is so key to emergency management. Yeah, so so yeah, I think you know you can kind of see that bringing a different sort of viewpoint in uh, is, I think, really um, really key. I've I've employed you know over the years, I have employed people who have come from uh, creative or performance backgrounds, sort of moved through. Um, move through sort of almost like event management uh, because, because, again, like, you know, we, the audience often sort of see these things and they all run really, really well, whether it's, you know, theatre shows or or music shows or whatever, and, and, and you never get to see what happens back of house, which is actually is, you know, kind of managing, um, you know, crises or disasters quite often. So bringing those skills All the time, in, John. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bringing those skills in uh, is really, uh, again, again, is really great. But I, I think, look, just probably just to kind of round this off, um, I, I think, again, just that recognition of um, the value that um, sort of creative arts allows for um, to, to help people make sense of um, of what they are going through uh, or what they could potentially go through. So, uh, you know, again, we've sort of recognised, I suppose, yes, you know, people do go through very challenging and traumatic experiences. You know, again, a dominant sort of paradigm was sort of really around, okay, well, then let's get them some mental health services and we'll get them kind of formal clinical supports. Uh, but but quite often, sort of people, you know, they want to, uh, they they need to make sense of it them, themselves, and they they may not be able to articulate that within a a um, like a formal clinical setting. Uh, and so, you know, the creative um, pursuits allow people to um, to try and make sense to, and, to and sense making experience. Yeah, In and a that's safe really way. really important part of the disaster experience is, is making sense and, and making uh, a meaning out of what has happened. I know that you were worked quite closely on the um, development of the Strathruan, well, one of the Strathruan bushfire memorials that were was um, deeply layered by a, a range of processes and led very strongly by the community. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because in some ways that's a kind of tangible way of how... Mm a kind of creative process and a, a very tangible outcome have been used as a way of of doing that very thing, finding a safe way for people to to process, to to mourn, to to look to the future. Yeah, look, that was... Um, uh, I, I really um, was deeply sort of fulfilled by that, that piece of work, uh, which took place over, I think, about the course of nearly three years three from years, the think, time yeah. that I was sort of, uh, you know, asked um, to the time the, the memorial was um, uh, finalised. Uh, and, yeah, look, it, it was it was, um, it was was great uh, to be able to be um, 
trusted by the community. Uh, I'd had some involvement in in the Zabali Memorial in Lincoln Square, um, and so, but you know, a kind of strong interest in uh, in how do we kind of represent grief and and, and mourning. Um, through so you know other other areas and so so being able to be kind of invited into the community and I was I was uh, vouched for by one of the community members who I had known um, for some time and really you know it was a small group of us who um, each brought different uh, experiences from the bushfires there were people who were mourning um, uh, family members. There were people who lived in the community. There were people who didn't live in the community. And there was, I think, six or eight of us. And it's really, um, it's really an opportunity just to. I, I kind of allowed them, you know, I not allowed them, but um, my presence allowed them to be able to talk uh, about what their um, their uh, kind of wishes were. Uh, in in a safe space, so that was you know we created a you know, a very safe space for for these conversations uh, to be had. Uh, we we did put in place a a very um, rigorous uh, and and long term process. Uh, it was interesting. They said to me, "Oh, well, we should have this sorted by um, the first anniversary." And this is um, you know I was approached in in October, and I said, "Look, it." Won't it definitely won't be the first um, uh, anniversary, and it's probably unlikely to be a second anniversary as well. Uh, if you want to do this properly and you want to try and engage people, sort of as as we go through, so so we did put in place a um, a really rigorous uh, uh, process, and uh, you know spent a lot of time um, in the community. Uh, just talking with people, trying to really, rather than to say, come to us with your plans for a memorial, because that's often what happens. People, you know, draw on a bit of paper and say, I want this or I want that. Um, we really were trying to sort of facilitate having a conversation about what's important to them, uh, what purpose did they want to to see uh, from from the memorial, how did I think they... What I think what I saw in the beauty of that piece was the ongoing reflection of stories, which yes. is evident in each, even in its structural form, but also in each of the layers, and the sense that it's an ongoing conversation rather than a full stop. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing. They they were very keen to say we want to not forget and we want to learn from this. So, and that that was how they kind of were able to sort of manage manage that. And they also want to tell the story before the fire as well as mm. you know during and and after. So they didn't see it necessarily just as a point in time. So mm, It's a very beautiful representation of that cycle, mm. which you were just mentioning before. It's not you go through the linear step and then it's done, but you, there is mm. the cycle, the story of, story of the continuation, yes, the pre, yeah. the post and the future. Yeah, so it's... Um, and, yeah, and then, you know, kind of getting to a point where, where we're able to you know, form a brief and... Uh, um, and that's sort of that, that that's was sort of the point where I sort of started to kind of step back further, and um, and then the um, the committee was able to sort of uh, you know put out expressions of interest, and uh, and that's where we we ended up um, 
you know, they ended up sort of with uh, the the designers um, who realised the um, uh, the end result, which yeah, I think is is uh, quite quite extraordinary because uh, you know I have seen some disaster memorials. It's a it's certainly an interest of mine, um, and you know I think sometimes some of them can be try try a bit too hard. They try and get everything in. Uh, whereas I think this is um, a really extraordinary representation of of when I look at it, I can see these are the sorts of things that people were saying to me over the course of the couple of years before. Mm, but also I think what's telling is the community continue to engage with it and build on it. And I know kids uh, last year or whatever were writing poetry as a response mm. and things like that. It's been very beautiful point of yeah and you know you've got to recognize that you're not always not everyone's going to be happy um with with processes whether you know i mean there's some people who said we don't think there should be a memorial at all you know that's that's our view um and okay okay that's 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 a that's a view uh but yeah you so you have to you obviously have to sort of recognize that and you and you um can't necessarily uh please everyone but you hope that you get to a point where Everyone can and sort of look at it and say, "Okay, well, I yeah, I'm I'm comfortable with this. I I can live with this. I think this is okay." Yeah, well, it's um it's an ongoing journey, as you say, and recovery is certainly seen as that. There's no sort of time frame, and I'm just interested. Like at your your role is National Resilience Advisor, and given what we're learning currently with COVID, which in some ways doesn't have a full stop for us either into the future. We mm. can't necessarily have an assumption of where where it's going to take us. And meanwhile, we are having uh, a preparedness phase at the moment into our bushfire season, carrying on the back of a, a very major impactful one from last year. And how, uh, how do you think we... Um, take these learnings and what, where are you thinking new approaches might arrive in terms of ma- managing an ongoing preparedness, resilience mm. building approach when, um, you know, often I think about it, uh, you know, um, often um, athletes are trained as high perform for high performance so there's a period mm. of time where they're at peak performance then they have the rest mm. and then they prepare again and there's peak performance and we could look at uh the disaster management cycle like that you have rest preparedness peak performance but our peak mm. performance is getting more and more layered and we don't really have a lot of time for the recovery or the you know gathering of our energy again we're about to go into preparedness process now whilst we're also engaging with you know a lot of tiredness um, Mm. and a lot of um, people working at high peak performance Mm. level for Mm. a long time without any downtime Mm. how how are you thinking or how is your organization or the general conversation in 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 the disaster management Mm. cycles thinking of what we take from these lessons to build better processes Mm. uh, into the future yeah, look, I think um, that's a that's a really great observation, and I, look, I think this is these are sort of un, uncharted waters to to some degree um, because of that that layering, as as you say, you know that uh, you know people have been under uh, in some parts of the country have been under stress for, for years. If you, even if we go back before bushfires, we think about drought. You know, we we had um, mm. significant parts of the country also. 
un, under stress in, in in drought and uh, and then you know, fires and then we had smoke and um, and COVID. So I think yeah we are um, certainly in in very um, very sort of uh, uh, challenging sort of circumstances. And so it's. It is so. I think this is probably a kind of adaptation period that we're in, and that we're, you know, we we, we probably don't quite recognise it, but it's you know, it's sort of like the start of the um, start of the summer where you know it always feels sort of hotter, um, even if it's only you know kind of twenty three or twenty four degrees, it feels like it's you know ten degrees warmer because your body hasn't physiologically adapted to. The heat and it's, you know, it takes you about six or, or so weeks to do that. So I think we're, we're possibly in, in in a similar sort of situation where um, where we've uh, where we have um, uh, we're having to sort of adjust to this kind of trying to be up or at peak performance uh, all the time. So it's certainly we're certainly very mindful of that, and I think. It does come have to come back to sort of real real sort of basics, uh, and that's why you know one of our sort of um, strong sort of focal points is on you know community connections and and individual connections and sort of being able to invest in that social capital that um, you can draw upon to sort of help you help you get through. And this is what we found the survey we did um, with like before Disaster Preparedness Week, uh, yeah, I suggested like, you know, nearly seven out of 10 of us um, across the country basically said, look, yeah, I, I really had to draw upon my um, sort of personal and, and social connections to help me get through. So I think that's where we have to really, really focus. So a lot of sort of preparedness has been very much around uh, the practical, tangible things like, you know, clean your gutters out and and prepare, you know, put together an emergency kit and, and those sorts of things. Now, they're all still very important uh, things and, you know, you need you need those to, um, you know, to, to survive if the cyclone is coming through or, or, or the um, flood or fire. But I think we've got to have a, um, you know, much stronger emphasis on on the social uh, the psychosocial dimensions and, you know, whether it's helping people prepare their minds, helping them to um, kind of manage through stress. So a really strong focus on on stress management, I think, is important and obviously has really everyday benefits. So it's not, not, not only just during an emergency, um, but also then, yeah, how do you build your um, social connections further um, what can you do to to kind of reach out to people and and look so would you have in your in your own uh, preparedness kit John would you have any personal examples of perhaps how you might have used creativity or the arts as a way of connecting in making building your your social circle or your connections or your health and well-being sensibilities um yeah, look, I, I suppose you know one of the things that that we do, um, you know, we we always have a Christmas function uh, here with our, our friends. Uh, I have a couple of people, uh, uh, friends of mine, who play in bands, um, so they they come and they play at our Christmas functions, and you know, people know. Oh, you know, there was there's. Um, 
there's um, uh, we, we should get along to that because there'll be there'll be a band playing uh, and it's always great to hear live music people people love live music so that's a way of kind of being able to kind of bring people together and sort of build build social connections we we do a similar thing in our street here where we have a uh, we usually have a street party uh, once a year uh, and uh, again there's uh, um, there's a couple of people in the street who play in bands or play music so they, they get out um, guitars and amplifiers and play uh, there's a you know a couple of other uh, artists who, who do uh, things like face painting and that sort of stuff so so again it, it helps bring people together around a sort of common purpose uh, and and there's a, and there's a reason sort of for 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 coming along. Um, I suppose the other thing for me is, uh, you know, sort of looking at what are the, um, I, I mean, I, I write a, a lot and whilst it's not creative writing, um, you know, sort of part of my, my blog, um, you know, I, I kind of try and capture the moments that, that are around and how can we use those moments to kind of help people think about the sorts of things they might do so being able to use the um you know the written word i think is is really important to sort of again build those uh build that that kind of psychosocial you know what goes on inside inside your head and what goes on outside your body and build that sort of um resilience is is uh is really key, I think. You know, the, mm, so the, in inside your preparedness pillow or your kit, you would think about putting a journal or your knitting or mm. some coloured pencils and some things that are about different parts of your knees rather than just the sort of concrete will and keys to the lockbox or yes yeah most definitely uh and, and also identifying those things that are um also really important you know we've got you know sort of examples of the kids artwork um that we would have in our box or um uh, you know there's there might uh, you know one of my favorite records you know has a particular meaning for me so that's the sort of thing I, I would want to also protect so like you know if say the worst thing did happen and we had to sort of re-establish our lives then uh, there would be elements uh, that are not just the practical uh, but uh, you know that, that I'd be able to sort of you know, kind of live not as it was, but have those connections, and that's really important. Uh, the sort of notion of psychological continuity, so that you know that stuff that that makes us who we are continues through, uh, and you know, it builds up with our memories and uh, and the like. So these are sorts of things that can help anch- you know anchor us in the past and help us go forward. So yeah, I was just thinking, memory making is often around these shared shared points of sensory engagement and often mm. the arts uh, are the, the container for that. Yeah, I mean, if you think about people, people talk about what are memorable moments and there might be, it might be a, a concert that they went to or, or some function or it might be a, a book that they've read or a, a movie, um, you know, that, that, that's had massive impact on them. So it's those sorts of things that do 
do do shape us and and help us kind of reflect it's it's not necessarily three liters of water and um you know a flashlight which you know are important things but um you know you're not going to remember those sort of in in your um in your twilight years necessarily <laughs> well i wish you all the best john for the red cross australian disaster preparedness campaign week is that the, is that the title uh, something along those lines, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and your very big job, actually. I, I think it's, um, you know, it is really something of our time now and into the future to think and unpack what we understand to be resilience and how do we support each other in the resilient journey. Um, I think particularly uh, the learnings of this last summer and our current experience of COVID and thinking of climate change ahead of us, resilience is such a weighted and important um, factor that we need to be mm. growing to love and understand. Yeah, I'll, you know, thank you. Um, I think, yes, it is, you know, sort of our time is now. And I also, you know, I thank you for the work that you're doing as well, because again, being able to be that lightning rod around which um, creativity can contribute to, to this process. If I, again, I think about my journey. As I described at the start, um, we would not have been having this conversation so 23 years ago, but now we can. So it does demonstrate a maturing of of the the sector uh, and and the importance. So I think you know having an organisation such as yours and and you being able to kind of you know have a kind of clear vision uh, and what you can contribute, I think has has been a, a, a massive leap forward for us. So I think, um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. So thank, thank you. Well, thanks for the encouragement and the support. And, uh, yeah, Red Cross is a, a strong, loved organisation in Australia and we're very, we're very um, thankful to be in conversation in partner with you. So all the best for your hmm. campaign and uh, I look forward to our next chat. Yeah, great. Thanks, Kosha. Thanks, John. Oh, and I've been enjoying your blogs. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining me for Creative Responders in Conversation and a special thanks to John for making time to speak with us. We'll include links in the show notes to John's blog, Sastrugi, the Strathewan Memorial, and more details on the Red Cross Emergency Preparedness Week. You can also find other resources and transcripts for all of our episodes on our website. If you know a creative responder you think we should know about or would like to share any feedback with us about the show, you can email us at comms, that's C-O-M-M-S, at creativerecovery.net.au or connect with Creative Recovery on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and send us a message. This podcast is produced by me, Scotia Monkovich, and my Creative Recovery Network colleague, Jill Robson. Our sound engineer is Tiffany DeMack, and original music is composed by Mikey Squire. A special thanks to Jessa Callahan and the team at Audio Craft. The Creative Recovery Network is assisted by the Australian Government through the Australia Council, its arts, funding and advisory body. Thanks for listening. <laughs>